0: Welcome to New Mercies, a podcast by Mercy Ships, where we'll take you behind the scenes and onboard our incredible hospital ships that are transforming lives all over the world. We invite you to join us each week as we sit down with our crew, patients, volunteers, and partners to hear their stories of life-changing hope and healing. Today, I'm speaking with Meryl McKinsey from Australia who has been an OR nurse for 40 years. And although she has lived in many states in Australia, she calls Queensland home. She first came to Mercy Ships short term in 2007, but was hooked. Meryl, it's a joy to have you on today. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thanks, Ryan. Yes, Queensland is the best sunshine (laughs) we call it in Australia. I first came to Mercy Ships in 2007 and to the ship was called the Anastasis, which is no longer in service, but a beautiful ship. And I had been looking for about six months earlier for an opportunity as a uh, theatre nurse, a scrub nurse, as we would call it in Australia, for a way to short term use my skills, use my professional skills in some form or other in in underprivileged or different different culture where, where there's not access to health care. Mm. I had never heard of Mercy Ships till about June 2006, and I look back and I think, how come I'd never heard of Mercy Ships? I mm. had been in Christian circles and church circles and mission circles for many years, um, but Mercy Ships hadn't come across my purview. And I had a new surgeon start working at my hospital, and before she started working there was um, a story that she did volunteer work in Africa on a ship in a hospital. And I thought, Mm. hmm, must talk to her. So that's how I first heard of Mercy Ships. And um, the first conversation I had, she told me a little bit about Mercy Ships and where they worked, uh, how it worked. And um, I checked out the website and then a week later I came back and I said, I've applied. Oh, my. (laughs) So I applied a week after hearing about Mercy Ships and within about three months, I had um, some dates, which again is surprising because often the journey to um, start to serve with Mercy Ships can take a little bit longer than three months. But I had some dates for the beginning of January in 2007 Hmm. and that's the first time I came. I just took three weeks from my holidays from my job in Australia and, and off I went. I look back and I think I don't really know what I expected as in hospital wise. I think I probably expected more of a local hospital um, than a hospital on a ship that actually is a lot more like our Western hospitals, just Mm -hmm. happens to be on a ship Mm -hmm. currently working in West Africa.
0: So what was it in that first three weeks, your first exposure to Mercy Ships that caused you to want to come back again in 2008 and 2009 and 2010? It it was the
1: combination of the need Mm. and the absolute wonderful desire of working with people that have the same heart to serve and to use their skills to put aside ego, to put aside um, the way we might do things differently in our home countries, but to actually work out how to work together to actually help this patient Mm. and their situation and provide surgery for them. The need is huge, and I have just seen so many answers to prayer and so many ways God has has healed people. Mm. So I kept coming back, taking holidays, 2008, 2009, 2010. Kids get married in a few years and then grandchildren, so I had a little bit of a gap to 2016. And then in 2017, My situation had changed a little bit and I was, again, knocking at the door going, okay, God, what have you got for me? Um, I'm not sure what the next step in life is. I knew that there was going to be some changes. wasn't sure whether I should stay working where I was in Brisbane. And I got an email. I can even tell you the date, April 24th, 2016, and Mercy Ships were looking for a clinical supervisor for the operating theatre on the Africa Mercy and an educator, of both for the operating room. And I thought, oh, maybe I could do that for a little bit longer, you know, maybe do it for six weeks. And I opened the mail and read the the job description of the educator. And I thought, no, that's not me, but I was prepared to go. <laughs> and then I read the job description for the clinical supervisor. And it was one of those sort of responses where the the tears come and the, the, the heart starts to pump faster and the, mm-hmm. and you've sort of a sense of this is actually what I've been preparing you for in the last few years. Wow. And I see that professionally. Um, I'd been doing some management. I could just sort of close my eyes to, I think, to sort of block out the whole emotional response. And I could actually see myself sitting at the desk in the operating room on deck three on the Africa Mercy. And and almost um, this sense of this is this is what I've got for you. And you might think it's only for a few weeks, maybe <laughs> months, but um, it's actually for longer. <laughs> and so I sent a little one- or two-line email to the appropriate people in Mercy Ships and, and let's just say the ball started rolling and within 10 days God had dramatically changed my focus. And then by July that year I was on board as um for a 10-month field service in Cameroon, Wow. the operating room clinical supervisor, and three, four, five years later, I'm still there, and now, and now as the operating manager for the Global Mercy for the new mm-hmm. ship.
0: Tell us a little bit about that role. What is that like to be a part of the OR team, but you're not actually assisting in surgery? Is that correct?
1: That's correct. My role um, as the operating room clinical supervisor is less of a clinical role as in being in an operating room, passing the surgeon instruments, and more of a support clinically. We have volunteer nurses that come for as little as two weeks as operating room nurses. So they need some direction, um, support as to where equipment is and so that's part of my role. Um, Organising supplies to make sure that we've got the right medical supplies coming at the right time for the various specialties is another, another part of the role that I do. Tapping in to be there to make sure that everybody's got what they need to do the, the job that they're there for. We would have well over 100 nurses in a field service and well over around 300 people. Doctors, surgeons, and anaesthetists through a field service that would change. So there's a constant um, change happening. Mm-hmm. So of uh, continuing to support those that are coming new, and also support those that are there longer. Yeah, because it, it can be. Not everybody finds it easy. Most most people do, but there's you know it's a hospital on a ship
0: <laughs> in, in a developing old. nation.
1: <laughs> in a developing nation and you're working with people that we might have six or seven, eight different nationalities in a specific operating room so that you may not have met before. And mm. so quickly we have to work at um, establish ground rules, so to speak, and we use the we use the WHO checklist as a common denominator, which is an international standard. But um, it, it's just, yeah, a lot of times I sort of go, oh, what I do do every day. But a lot of what I do is actually making sure people are, are working well together.
0: And you're equipping them, you know, for and- this unique environment. And how do you navigate all those differences in the amongst the different nationalities? Because I would think that hospitals all over the world are a little bit different. The terminology is probably a little bit different with maybe basic instruments or things that are common. They all have different vocabulary, how do you help to kind of bridge the gap and and equip all of those nurses and doctors and surgeons to get on the same page? That's a really great
1: question. The The language of the ship is in English. So we do have a requirement that everybody that comes to work and to serve on the ship does speak English. And in the operating room, we actually ask and try and make sure that they have a higher level of English that they've perhaps been able to show that they've worked professionally in the medical area in environment we we have various tools there's some lists of instruments that have got names from german and french and um, and english so that people can have a look at those before they come probably the main tool we use is right at the beginning of every day the people that are working together in that specific room say let's take the the maxfax room for instance We'll start with a brief, which usually will go for about 20 minutes. And they specifically talk through each patient for the day and what the needs are going to be for the surgery, what they're actually doing. But they even start off by talking about themselves, going around the room and saying who they are, where they're from, what role they've got, have they been on the ship before. All those pieces of information help us to see work together as a team. And so that's a really integral part of forming that baseline. And then everyone comes with the heart to serve. And that, that is probably the next thing is, you know, we, we have a desire to work together for the, for the treatment of this actual patient on the, on the operating table. So, again, there's a patience that comes between each team member working together and listening to each other. Because we all recognise that we're in a slightly foreign environment for everyone. Mm. I think that's the thing. You know, we have a sign up in the operating room on the Africa Mercy that we want to be a place where we see God change hearts and lives of people. Mm. And I think often our visitors to to Mercy Ships see that sort of sign and think we're talking about patients, mm. and we're also talking about ourselves. Not just patients. It's not just patients whose lives are changed by
0: coming to work um, and serve with Mercy Ships. How has your life been changed since you've come to work with Mercy Ships, or how have you seen the lives of others changed?
1: I think my life's been changed by I have friends all around the world, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which which is sort of once a Mercy Shipper, always a Mercy Shipper, and there's always a Mercy Shipper to welcome. You You always find a welcome at another Mercy Shipper's place. But my life has just been changed by seeing the need Respecting and knowing that you know I personally have had and my family have had any medical issue we've had we've been able to have dealt with very easily mm-hmm. in my country in Australia and to be able to bring just that that little bit of health care to someone else's life is um is just humbling and I just want to be able to to be able to improve the access to safe affordable timely surgery is just so necessary globally
0: mm.
1: i i have become aware more and more of, of um seeing god's hand in in things and just how he can orchestrate how i believe he orchestrates sometimes the smallest things I have a lovely story about a nurse that came from australia we had some patients in cameroon who spoke arabic And we didn't actually have any Arabic translators amongst our day crew translators.
0: Hmm.
1: So these patients, surgery was delayed while we worked with the Ministry of Health in Cameroon to try and get Arabic translators. And so um, after a number of weeks, these patients were scheduled for their surgery. And they were women's health patients. Hmm. And that particular day when the first of these Arabic speaking ladies came their surgery, we had a new nurse that came to work from Australia and and he spoke Arabic and it was sort of like <laughs> here, here along came this gentleman, middle-aged, um, from a part of Australia where I would never have expected that he would have spoken Arabic and when he heard the translator speaking to the patient as they were coming coming into the operating room, he was able to say a few words himself in Arabic and the patient then immediately was a lot more relaxed about what was going to be happening. And you sort of think, how can that be orchestrated? Only God. Wow. I've seen answers to supplies coming when you just don't think that they're going to possibly get there in time. And God just orchestrates the right people to be in the right place at the right time to be able to pick up these supplies and bring them with them from from the U.S.
0: to West Africa. God sees all those details. And we can scramble and we can try to figure out what we can do to make things happen. And God just unfolds a beautiful plan, like bringing Mm -hmm. a nurse from Australia to speak Arabic at just the right moment. It's pretty special to be a part of that and to have a front row seat to watch God provide time and again and again.
1: I had a surgeon say to me, I I need this supply for craniofacial and but I'll bring it with me from the UK. And then close it at the time, like a week before, uh, we're going to need the need this supply, this special, I call it special medical glue. <laughs> and um and he sends me an email. He goes, Merrill, my rep couldn't get it for me. can you can you please get it at your end? And when I read his email, i'm I'm sort of speaking back to the computer going, do you not realize my end is in West Africa? (laughs) How do you expect me to get this? (laughs) And I shoot off an email to the supply chain in Texas and I go, I'm sorry, I know I'm about to really upset your day, but is there any way you could talk to someone about getting this special medical glue? Um, I need six packets of it (laughs) by Monday. And I know it's Tuesday now, so you've got six days.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: And And by Sunday, literally by Sunday afternoon, um, this supply item, this special fancy medical glue that we had never used before, so it wasn't like we had some sitting in storage, Hmm. we were able to get it to ship in West Africa. And by the time the surgeon came from the UK and he he says hello to me, I said, guess what I've got sitting in my office in West (laughs) Africa? (laughs) <laughs> a box of this fancy glue. <laughs> he just stood there and he went,
0: oh, I didn't think that was possible. I said, no, I didn't either. Hmm. But so, God, right? But God, Yeah. You know, it's funny. I know when I went to the ship and people were saying, well, what are you going to bring? You know, what do you need? And I thought, well, can't we just Amazon anything that we need? You know, <laughs> and you kind of quickly realize, no, actually, Amazon does not deliver <laughs> everywhere in the world. And so there's a really fun system in place with Mercy Ships. When we need something that we can't get, oftentimes we can look through the crew list, who's about to arrive, who's coming in next week and where are they coming from? We can contact those people and say, hey, we need you to pack an extra suitcase because we need you to bring these supplies from the UK or from America or wherever in the world you're coming from. And oftentimes people will arrive with extra suitcases filled with supplies. I know I asked for one very silly thing. One of my daughters wanted to do some art on board the ship and was looking for some special cards to make. And I saw that there was a photographer that was coming from America in a week. And so I emailed him, not knowing him and said, Hey, if I Amazon, some of these cards to your house, can you then bring them over with you? And he did, you know, so God will provide in very special, interesting ways, but it, it isn't really through Amazon when you're in West Africa.
1: (laughs) No, and you're quite correct. Amazon doesn't deliver to West Africa. I have sent emails the same. I look through to see who's coming from Australia. And I've requested, you know, um, skin care products. <laughs> I've requested um, special things that we've needed for the operating room um, from a hardware store because I know I can get them. And I've said, if you go to this shop, here's what it's called. And I need four of them. <laughs> it's very special.
0: Yeah. And it's nice to have those comforts from home when you're so far away and in a unique environment to realize that when someone's coming from your country, it's like, oh, I'm just craving these candies we always get at home. Or yeah, my favorite shampoo. Can you bring me a bottle? And it shows up and it's so, it's really comforting, you know, it's those little things that make a really big difference.
1: Yeah. For an Australian, it's mostly Vegemite and Tim Tams. <laughs>
0: The Tim Tams and the Vegemite. I love it. But how much more important when there's these certain medical supplies that are needed and no, you're not going to find them in a local store in the village that we're in and to just see how God provides in special ways. That's, it's really neat over the years with your time on board the Anastasis, the Africa mercy as the hospital has been in operation. Has there been a moment that has impacted you or really stands out in your mind? Yeah, there, there's, there's been a number. but Perhaps the one that I, that I will share today is
1: um, to do with the patient in Senegal just before Christmas in 2019, it would be. And in my role, I'm often one of the first couple of people if there's an emergency situation happening in one of the operating theatres. And I'm usually one of the first responders to that. And there was a situation that, that was happening, an emergency situation that I went to in, in OR1. And it was an orthopedic patient. And the patient just wasn't doing well intraoperatively. And myself and the anesthetic supervisor went in to help the anesthetist that was there. And we went through a, a whole lot of different um, medical things as to what was going on and what and what we could find and trying to establish um, the patient's airway again and this went on for quite some time we the child would improve and then deteriorate then improve and then deteriorate (laughs) we had we did x-rays we did a number of things there was a lot of people in the room all working together to try and um just have this child improve and stay improved, and be able to have a good outcome. And it was a very difficult situation because we couldn't actually establish why she was deteriorating. Mm. And I think for me, at one point, I was—you know—I'm probably talking about almost an hour and a half to two hours of this um, roller coaster. And at one point, um, the anaesthetist said, the anaesthetic supervisor just said, I, "I just need to step outside for." for a couple of moments and um, and she stepped outside and was able to sit down and pray and when she came back in um, to the rest of us that were that were working there we don't know what's going on we don't know why this child keeps deteriorating Mm. but um, the, the child miraculously started to improve and stay improved and the airways the saturations didn't keep dropping and um, we are able to complete the surgery and there was in some ways scratching our heads going, I don't qu- quite know why we're now stable, but we are
0: stable. What do you attribute that turning point
1: to? I, I can only attribute the turning point to that God intervened. Uh, to this day, I I don't know.
0: And when we finally
1: um, finished the surgery and you know, there's, we're moving the child over to the trolley to go out to the recovery room and I opened the door as we took uh, to the operating room. As we wheeled the child out, and the anaesthetist and most and the other staff went, and I, what I became aware of was that out in the corridor hall was our, two of our chaplains, the operating room manager, a number of the staff praying, mm-hmm. and they'd been outside the room, and I had no idea that that's where they were. Two hours while we were trying to sort out what was happening with this little girl. And she woke up from a surgery and she was bouncing around the place and mm-hmm. she had a big smile on her face and mum had a big smile. And, and to this day, I still don't know the reasoning why she deteriorated intraoperatively quite to the degree that she did so many times, but God worked as only he can.
0: Mm-hmm. And I
1: just glory for that situation.
0: What a miracle. Yeah. It's neat to see all the ship come together in these different situations to have chaplaincy down praying and different people Mm. just supporting what's going on. It's not really just the doctors and nurses and medical staff that care and care for these patients, but really the whole ship is there Mm -hmm. because they care, you know, no matter what role they're playing on board, everybody is, is concerned. And it's neat to see how different departments, the chaplaincy department will come and pray for the nurses and the doctors and to give wisdom and discernment. Lord, please, we don't know what else to do.
1: You know, it's sometimes I look at, okay, here I am. I've My family's back in Australia, my children, my grandchildren, and God, is this really where you want me to be? It's a long, long way away. And there's times when I'd really just love to be able to be just with my family. And I have a beautiful story that that I cling to that where I believe he showed me that, you know, this is where you are and um, and I do care for and I love your family and I love them more than you love them mm-hmm. and I, I'm integral into their, into their lives as well. I have a, a daughter who has some health issues all her life and she's in her 30s and had some surgery, various points, But on the ship in Christmas 2017, there was a new anaesthetist that came as a volunteer from Australia. And as we chatted the the night that she arrived, it became apparent to her and to I that she had actually looked after my daughter in a critical situation when my daughter had had, um, gone into premature labour, having my grandson. And I didn't know who this anaesthetist was by name, As we chatted together in the hallway on the ship, it was like God saying to me, I've brought this person who actually cares for and looks after your family. You know, I'd been saying to God, do you really want me here? I really would like, I'm really missing my family. It's Christmas, I should be home. And then I meet this this lady. My daughter died um, going into labour and this anaesthetist had actually saved, basically saved her life. And I knew that because I was home in, in Perth when, when my grandson was born, but I hadn't met her. Wow. And she came. It was her first time serving on ship in Cameroon, and she's come back each, each field service. And we've connected in Perth since many times, and just, she's just a very special person. But every time I look at her when she's on ship, I, I, I sort of go, God, thank you that you care for my family.
0: Ah. Oh. It is a big part of coming to serve. You know, there is some degree of sacrifice, but to see how God provides. And if you're walking in his will and you're walking in obedience to what he's called you to do, he will provide. He will provide for all that you need. And even in that moment, you just needed some comfort to know that your family was okay and being cared for. And God just brought that doctor there to say, I know your daughter. I've cared for her. I've got you, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's, God loves us so much. It's a gift to get to see his extravagant love in all these ways. Well, Meryl, you are kind of embarking on a new chapter with Mercy Ships right now, and it's really exciting. You are currently in Europe, and you have been aboard the Global Mercy, helping set up that brand new hospital. So tell us a little bit about it.
1: Oh, it's very exciting and I feel very privileged to be in this position. The Global Mercy is a purposefully built ship for Mercy Ships. August last year, mm. we were in possession of it and it's sailed it from China to Belgium. And the hospital is over two decks, I think over three times bigger than the hospital on the African Mercy. Oh, my gosh. It's 6 Operating theatres, the operating theatres, um, the size of our normal operating theatres in your country and mine. Um, and it is so exciting. We have, we have four operating theatres that we intend to do general anaesthetic procedures in, and two that will be predominantly working on eye surgeries. There's a biomed department that is um, for all our, all our biomed machinery. sterilising. We've got a new tr- instrument tracking system which is a computerised tracking system incorporating how our instrument's being processed through decontamination, sterilising through the actual operation. Then there's upstairs in deck four is the hospital wards, um, A, B, C, D, E and F, (laughs) around 100 beds. There's a four-bed ICU unit, three-bed Isolation ward, a 70-bed low care unit um, for patients post-operatively. There's a DT scanner, radiology, pharmacy, laboratory, there's a simulation lab because one of the one of the big focuses for Mercy Ships is the MCB, the medical capacity building area. If you look at globally six billion people around the world, a third. Have access to safe, affordable surgery. So that means two thirds of the world's population doesn't have access to, to safe, affordable, and timely surgery. Right. And so Mercy Ships is one of many organisations working towards decreasing that number. So it's, and that's to do with local, building the knowledge and the medical capacity locally, working alongside government organisations on policies and procedures. And training local surgeons, anaesthetists, and medical health professionals. Wow! So, simulation lab is is brilliant. Be happening on the Global Mercy will be very exciting. So, we're still in the equipping phase. There's lots of. I think we've had something like forty containers for oh the hospital. So that's beds, trolleys, linen, instruments, ten thousand individual instruments for the operating room, I think it's taken three months to have them sorted, work, sorted into trays and processed and just the um, logistically it's huge. <laughs> yeah, sounds like it. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot but of it's, work. It's a lot of work. And to sit in these operating rooms, I you know, I go in into them. They're obviously predominantly empty at the moment, but just to sit in there and go, wow, this is, you know, this is, this tool is going to be used in West Africa to change people's lives. And it's, it's just very humbling.
0: Wow. And how Maybe. neat did you get to be a part of it? Oh, just so,
1: you know, so neat. I have to walk around and go, pinch me. You know, you'll come out of a door and
0: sort of peek and go, okay, which deck am I on? And I'm going which way? <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you most looking forward to in this new ship getting into field service?
1: I'm mostly looking forward to seeing the patients come on board and actually seeing those first patients being discharged off the ship, having, having been through their surgery and going home. So just to be able to have that, those first patients will be amazing.
0: Yeah. Well, we're all looking forward to that and can't Mm -hmm. wait to hear all those stories yet to come. Meryl, you have served so faithfully and, You have so much experience over your 40 plus years as a nurse, and why are you continuing to serve with Mercy Ships? You could take that experience anywhere. You even mentioned, you know, even being back at a hospital in Australia, but why why Mercy Ships?
1: I want to be doing and using the skills and the talents that God's given me to bring healing and hope. Um, just as I've received hope from, from, from God. Um, I, I just love our philosophy and our core values.
0: Mm.
1: And I just love, you know, making a difference in one person's life. The need is so great and we can't meet everybody's need. We can't, we can't heal everybody. We can't even treat everybody. We have some specific specialties that we work in. But what we can do is bring the best of ourselves to that one person's need mm-hmm. and show love. Mm-hmm. And to be able to see in the eyes of someone who's been rejected, who may not have known love, may not have had someone look at them, look them in the eye and smile at them for who they are, to be able to do that to someone
0: is is what I want to keep doing. Yeah. We are so grateful for all of the work that you are doing and the team of people are doing on the Global Mercy to prepare this ship. I know that it is a massive undertaking and y'all have been working so hard. And not only are we grateful, but there are so many people yet to come that are going to be so grateful because like you said, their lives will be forever changed, but it would never happen if they didn't have a fully equipped hospital. Mm -hmm if they didn't have instruments that were sorted and organized and sterilized so that the surgeons could use them to transform some of their physical ailments. And also their lives couldn't be changed if they didn't have somebody that was a supervisor in our hospital to make sure that all the proper supplies were there and that all of the people were working together in harmony. So thank you, Meryl, for your very special role that you play in Mercy Ships and thank you for the lives that you are impacting. Thanks, Ryan. As Meryl said, the need is great. So many are in desperate need of life-changing surgery and Mercy Ships desires to make that difference in many lives, but we can only do that if we have the crew to serve on board our ships. Consider how you might use your skills to help change lives. Check out the opportunities at mercyships.org forward slash volunteer. Well, you won't want to miss our guest next week, Captain Durian Schut will share with us how his life was radically changed when he first got on board one of the Mercy Ship's vessels. And as the first guest in the month of February, Captain Durian will also share how he met his wife on board what many have called the love boat. Come back next week to hear this incredible man share his passion for the sea and his love of Mercy Ships.